you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John together this morning. It's also in your bulletin, and it's on the screen behind me as well. But as you're, you're turning to the Gospel of John, we're, we're entering a new year. It's 2019. Uh, and oftentimes in a new year, we're thinking about new beginnings, uh, we're thinking about starting over, uh, thinking about new things, um, and so we're going to enter into a new sermon series uh, as well, too, uh, for this new year, and I'm going to just kind of uh, lay out what this year is going to look like in our sermon series for us this morning. Uh, this year, we're going to go through the Gospel of John together, and we're going to kind of do that in two parts. Uh, we'll, we'll look at John up until the summer, and then in the summer, we're going to take a break, and we're going to spend some time in Matthew's Gospel looking specifically at the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the summer. And then in the fall, when we come back, we'll pick back up uh, with, uh, with the Gospel of, uh, of John and finish that out together in uh, 2019. And here's what, here's the big, like the big rock of what we're going to think about together uh, this year. So, so I want you, want you to hear this and hang on to it uh, because it's an idea. It's something that we're going to continue to come uh, back to time and time again. So here it is. This year we are thinking together about life with Jesus. Life with Jesus. And we're going to start this morning uh, by looking at the first portion of the Gospel of John. And as I read this, take this in. What I'm about to read to us is really big, and it's really deep, and it's really, really beautiful. The things that I'm going to read to us this morning are beyond what our minds can fathom, and yet they're exactly what we need to hear. So as I read this, take this in. These are God's thoughts put into word for us, for his people, that we might have life. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us understand his word this morning. Father, we read your word and it really is so grand and so big and so much more that we can, than we can wrap our minds around. And yet we read it and there is this sense inside of us that these words are the very things that our hearts need to hear. Uh, because what we know deep down is that we live in a world that is broken. And we know deep down that our own hearts are broken. And that we need to be rescued and redeemed from the brokenness. And you give us your word, your word made flesh. And Jesus, we pray this morning that you would be more believable and beautiful to us as we look at what it is that you have come and done. Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our hearts this morning? Help us to see our sin and our need for grace. And help us to see that Jesus is the grace that we need. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, with uh, New Year's come New Year's resolutions. That's right. I'm going to tap into the thing that everybody's seeing about and, and thinking about. Um, and if you're like me and you've been on, uh, on Facebook or Instagram or, or anything else, any other sort of social media, you've seen New Year's resolutions all over the place. Well, there's, there's a trend that's happened in the last couple of years that's been really kind of interesting to me. This sort of kind of, a, it's, it's like it's kind of trying to buck the system with the New Year's resolution stuff. And instead, uh, it's, it's focusing on um, having a single word to define your year. Anybody seen this stuff? Yeah, uh, it's all over the place. So I started doing a little bit of research uh, about this, and I came across a whole bunch of stuff. But one thing that I came across that, that really kind of stuck out to me is there is, the, there is a website that is, that is geared uh, around this whole idea of having a single word to define your year. And they offer a five-day online class for you that you can take, and at the end of that five days, like they will reveal to you your word for 2019. And here's what's included in that five-day class. Uh, there is a, uh, an inspiring email each day that you get. Uh, there is, and I'm gonna, I, I want to quote this. There, you can have gorgeous printable PDFs of the class. I don't even know what gorgeous printable PDFs are. Um, but also, you are placed in a Facebook group with people who share your word, and you can share your year with them as an, as an end result uh, of this class. Now, now some of you sitting here are kind of like, you know, I kind of like the idea of having like a single word to help me kind of focus and defi define my year. And some of you in here just threw up a little bit in your mouths because, <laughs> because the whole idea just seems like really, really ridiculous. Well, first of all, there's space for all of us. Like, it's okay, we can all still be, uh, still be friends if we think that it's something that's hokey, or if we're like, you know, I kind of I, I like that idea. But as I was doing this, doing this research and looking at this and everything, there's something that dawned on me, and it dawned on me from like a personal level um, for myself. And it's this, 
How quick I am to try and define my life by my words. Um, and, and, and how quick we are uh, to try and define our lives by our words. And what I want uh, to challenge us with this morning, and, and even this year I'll say, uh, is what would it look like if instead of letting our words define us, that we let God's word define us? You see, God's word is far bigger and grander than anything that we could even come up with ourselves. And at the same time, it is so personal. And so often we feel like it's written specifically uh, for us. And both of those things are true. It really is that big and it really is that personal. And in we come to John chapter 1. And we see these first three verses. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God's word begins with the word, and it extends to what the word does. It creates creation. We're immediately drawn back to the very beginning of the Bible as we read this passage. And John wants us to be drawn back. To that, uh, we're drawn back to Genesis 1, which is where God speaks everything into existence. The time in which the only thing that existed was the one who would make everything exist. That word has always existed. It never had a starting point, and creation comes from the one who does not have a beginning or an end. God himself. And we're let in on this, that the Word here in verse 1 was with God, and the Word was God. Here's a little bit of a spoiler alert for us. When John uses the Word like as a, as a proper noun, he is referring to Jesus. That's who John is referring to, and, and, he, and he specifies that for us in verse 17. But he says the Word was God. And it comes after this phrase that the Word was with God. Uh, the word with, in our English language, it can carry uh, a lot of different levels of connection with it, can it? Like, for instance, if I were to go um, to Chick-fil-A um, through the, through the drive through and order a, a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, I would tell them that I want fries with that, Okay. That communicates that really I'm just trying to meet a basic need that I have, uh, which is a great chicken sandwich and waffle fries. Um, but if, if I went to a party that I was not invited to, and let's say Carrie was invited to, uh, to this party, my wife, and I didn't know anybody there. I knew no one there, and I show up with Carrie. Carrie knows all these people. And she's talking to all these people. And I start talking to people that I don't know. Inevitably, they don't know me, so they're going to ask me a question. They're going to ask me, who are you with? Well, that's a little bit deeper connection than I want waffle fries with my chicken sandwich. Like, I've, I've came with Carrie to this party. I'm with this. There's a deeper connection that is there. Well, the Greek language works the same way. Uh, with can carry, the, the idea of with can carry with it deeper senses of connection and intimacy. And John specifically uses 
the word with here to communicate the deepest of intimacies. The deepest of intimacies, so deep that John can write the following. The word was with God and the word was God. The connection between God the Father and the Son, Jesus, is so deep that they are one God. This is a classic text that, that we have in our scriptures where we, uh, where we see the doctrine of the Trinity. That God is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son. And we're even tapped back into the reality that God the Spirit is a part of that Godhead. Because remember, we're supposed to think about Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, we see that the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. That there's one God in three persons and there's this deep intimacy of connection. John is getting at this perfect union the Trinity had before anything existed. And that existence itself comes from this triune God. And John even says that without this, nothing was made. Without this, nothing was made. And that all things were made through the Word. John is informing us that God's Word makes things happen. When God speaks, things come into existence. And that includes you and me as well. Have you ever thought about, like, before God created the world, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one God in three persons, they had a conversation about making you and me? Like, there is, there is, there is nothing in your life about who you are that, that, that the Trinity, that the triune God did not talk about making you that way. The one who speaks and everything comes into existence is also so very personal and intimate that, that God knows every hair on your head. God knows every quirk that he gave you. God knows everything about you. He made you that way. Psalm 139 even tells us that we were knit together in our mother's womb. Very personal. Very intimate. And thinking back on Genesis 1-2, God tells us that we are made in His image. That our existence is rooted in the image of the one who made us. That's how God's word defines us, that we are made in God's image, that we bear the image of the creator in the creation that he has made, that we are the pinnacle of God's handiwork, that we were made to make him known in the world that he made, that we were made uniquely with inherent worth and dignity, with purpose, mattering to God mattering to the God who made the universe. And in an almost kind of like unbelievable turn of events, in verse 14, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's amazing. That the uncreated, the always existing, took on flesh and became a part of the thing He created. To dwell with us be with us. At one and the same, we see this grand, big picture that we can't wrap our minds around, and yet Jesus came and he dwelt with us very personally, 
We see intimacy and nearness that Jesus became flesh and he came to be with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, there's a reason that the only son, the word, took on flesh. That's because the world that God created is not the way that it's supposed to be. And John lets us in on that here as well, too. If we look back at verse 5, we see John use this idea and this word that there's darkness that is in this world that God made. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of of darkness, um, to me, kind of brings to mind um, loneliness, being alone, being scared, being lost. Not, not being able to know where you are or what's around you. Like I think about darkness and anxiety wells up in me. I think about confusion, too. All of those things. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Carrie and I took the kids to um, Limble Gorge out in the western part of the state. If you've ever been uh, out to Limble Gorge, um, I would highly recommend it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, but out there is also a set of caverns called Linville Caverns. Um, and you can actually go and tour these, these caverns. And they're, they're basically like pathways carved into the mountains that are there that are big enough to where you can actually walk around in them. It was a really, it was a really neat experience. And we, so we had all of the kids with us and everything, and we're walking around inside of these mountains, and it's kind of cold and it's wet and everything. And one of the last things that they do on, on the tour is they take a moment to kind of stop you and, and, and put you in a spot. And then uh, what they'll do is they'll turn the lights off. Uh, and when they turn the lights off, you experience this thing that's called total darkness, Meaning that there is, there is no outside light, there's no ambient light that's able to get in there. You are, you are absolutely in the dark. And it's so dark that it's like you can't see your hand in front of your face, kind of dark. Well, they turned those lights off, and both of my boys are right beside me. And as soon as those lights went off, that both of them on each side of me grabbed my hand and squeezed as hard as they could. And why? That's scary, right? Like that kind of darkness is, is scary. You don't know where you're at. You feel alone. You want to reach and grab for the thing that you know is safe and will bring you to safety and out of the darkness. John brings us to grips with the reality that our world has darkness in it. And that darkness comes from us defining ourselves by our words Instead of God's word. The Bible calls this sin. Rejecting God's word and replacing it with our own. And again, remember John wants us to think about Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. So as we look back and we think about what happens in those first three chapters, we see exactly how the darkness comes into the world in Genesis 3. In the beginning. Adam and Eve were made in God's image to flourish and to grow, representatives of uh, of the God who made them. And they rejected God's word to listen to the lies of a serpent. And then they tried to define themselves by their own word. 
They rejected bearing God's image for trying to make their own. They listened to their own voice instead of God's. And as I kind of slow down and, and think about this, I realize that in so many ways, I, I'm, I'm so much like Adam and Eve. I, I want to define my life by my words and what, and what I think is best, what I want, uh, what I desire. I tend to focus on, on self. My words oftentimes, if I slow down and think about it, can be harsh. They can be cutting. Uh, they can be downright mean. Uh, oftentimes, my words are not very thoughtful. Uh, they don't really care um, about the path of destruction that they leave in their wake. These are my words. I'm speaking as if there's something out there. Like my words, I don't really care about the path of destruction that I leave in my wake with my words. Because everyone needs to know how much I know, how much control I have, how much power I have, how much power I can exert. And I find that many times, and in many cases and situations, that my words are too soon. That I don't slow down enough. Uh, that, I don't, that I don't hear what others are saying. I'm really quick to just want to give a fix to things. To say something, because I have the words to fix whatever it is that's going on. I speak before I hear others, and I can miss the point. I, and I find that I do this with my children so often that I don't hear them out, that I don't hear what's going on in their lives and in, in their heart because I just want to make them good little children. Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm interested in. And, and in comes the Gospel of John, and, and, it, and it says, you need to slow down. You need to hear you need to hear that my word defines who you are. That my word defines who your children are. And what's also true is that I've been hurt by others' words too. You know, the old adage, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I, don't, I can't really think of anything more untrue than that. Words cut, they hurt. We've all had things said to us that define who we are and how we think about our lives and the world that we live in. And many of those words are things like, you'll never be worth anything. No one wants to be your friend. No one loves you. No one cares. And we've heard those very same words come out of our own mouths too. And even as we hear ourselves saying it, we just can't stop. And all of this reminds us that our world is broken and dark. That our hearts are broken and dark and sinful. And that we need something to come in and to fix it. And John tells us that that happens too. John gives us hope of redemption and restoration and resurrection. And he gives us that hope with his very word here. 
Look back with me at, at, a, at a snippet of verses here. I'm going to read verses 5 and 9 and 14 and 16 to us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You see, even though we brought sin and darkness into the world, it doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. Jesus has the last word, and he is the true light shining in the darkness, and all who receive him, John tells us, are children of God. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. In verse 5, John says that the light shines in the darkness. And I love the tense of the word that he uses there, shines. It communicates to us this idea. He, he picks this particular verb tense to communicate this idea, that the light has shined, that the light is shining, that the light continues to shine, and that the light will shine on into the time in which darkness is no more. John is kind of letting the cat out of the bag here for us before he gets to the middle of his gospel. He's showing us what Jesus is ultimately going to come and to do, to shine in the darkness and to overcome it. John is talking about redemption and rescue and restoration here. And he will ultimately show us that in order to overcome the darkness, Jesus God's word made flesh will walk to the cross. And he will take all of our words that we have spewed out of self-service and even hatred and certainly unthoughtfulness and all of those words that have been spewed out at us and caused such pain and hurt that it still sticks with us even now. And he overcomes it by offering his life for ours. Where Adam failed and rejected God's word in the garden, Jesus fully obeyed. And Jesus even offered his word for us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He offered his word for us. It is finished. He offered his word for our words of darkness and sin. And even though it killed him, it couldn't hold him down. Resurrection was a must. Resurrection was the only option for the one full of grace and truth and glory. And John says that if we receive him, if we believe Jesus and what he has done, then we too receive grace and truth and glory with him. And that is beautiful. That is big. That is, that, that is the thing that our hearts, that, that we find that even right now are longing for, is what is true. And God meets us in His bigness in such a very personal way. In becoming flesh and experiencing life the way you and I have. And yet doing it perfectly so that the darkness would not last. And he has absolutely overcome it. 
Just slow down for a minute and take that in. God is so grand, and yet He is so close and near and intimate. When Carrie and I uh, first uh, started uh, dating, um, it was actually after we, we, we had kind of a whirlwind of, uh, uh, of, of a romance before we got married. We spent seven months apart from one another and were married within a year of knowing each other. So you can, you can imagine how that first year of marriage was. But anyways, um, so when we... So, so when we um, when we got engaged and we, and we came back home, we were living overseas, both of us in separate places. We came back home, decided we were going to get married. We got engaged. We were living in South Carolina at, at the time. And on many weekends, we would get off of work and we would drive to Georgia where Carrie's family lived. And we would spend some time um, with them. And uh, as I think back on this time, it was really, really sweet and really great um, and one of the cool things is that Carrie's grandparents, when we would come into town, uh, they would wait uh, to have dinner because they wanted to have dinner with us. And so we weren't getting off of work until like five o'clock. Uh, and so we still had like a three to three and a half hour drive ahead of us. And they would wait to have dinner with us until eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock on a, on a Friday night. Um, and... I can remember, like, I remember, like, sitting in their kitchen and just watching 50-plus years of marriage play itself out in front of my face. Uh, and the connection that they had, the joy that they shared, they really loved each other. They really were best friends with, uh, with one another. And Carrie and I even had, like, we would have conversations like, you know, if we get to half of what they got, man, we are, we are doing great. And, and, and we remember like looking at them and thinking to ourselves, that's, that's our hope. Like We hope that when we're 80 years old, that we still love each other the way that, that they do. And it wasn't too long after that, um, about a year and a half after that, not quite two years, um, we had had Lucy. We were living in St. Louis at the time. And about four weeks after we had Lucy, we got a call from Carrie's dad that her, her granddad was in the hospital and, and he wasn't doing well. Uh, and so we got on a plane um, from St. Louis and we flew down to Atlanta and we went to the hospital and spent some time with Carrie's, uh, with, with Carrie's granddad. He got to meet his great-granddaughter and hold her. Um, I got to sit down and read Revelation 21 with him. Um, and I remember going into that hospital room and seeing Carrie's grandmother sitting on the bed, and she was holding his hand, and she was talking to him, and she was telling him how much she loved him, and uh, a few days later, Carrie's granddad passed away, but her grandmother never left his side, and she sat there with him, whether it was sitting on the bed or laying in the bed with him, holding him, and sharing that love uh, that they had that deep intimacy and connection that they had. But there's something that I realize in the midst of all of that, and it's that their commitment to one another was not something that just existed on its own. It had roots. It was a lifetime rooted together by God's word defining what their relationship was going to look like. 
Jesus had shaped that relationship, that love, that care. The foundation of their marriage wasn't their commitment to one another. It was God's commitment to them. That's what grew that kind of love. God did. And as we begin this year thinking about life with Jesus together, this is our big takeaway this morning. Life with Jesus begins by recognizing God's commitment to us. John 1, 1 through 18 shows us God's commitment to us in the biggest possible picture. God is so committed to you and me that he refused to leave us in our darkness, in our loneliness, in our brokenness, in our sin, and instead he entered into it and took on flesh and overcame it for us. And God is committed to His Word being the thing that defines our lives instead of our words. And His Word tells us that in Jesus, we are His children. In Jesus, we are born of God, the one who made heaven and earth by speaking it into existence. In Jesus, we have seen glory full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we have and continue to receive grace upon grace. You see, because grace not only saves us, beloved, but grace grows us. God is committed to making our words like His. Thoughtful, gentle, loving, true. God is committed to slowing us down and thinking before we speak. Grace upon grace means that God is growing us to be the kinds of people who become more and more defined by God's word instead of our words. To become more and more like the word made flesh. The light that has overcome the darkness. The one who is full of grace and truth. God is committed to shaping us and molding us and making us more and more like Jesus, beloved. And he does that as we come together and we worship together and hear his word preached and we sing together. He does that through small groups. He does that through meetings one-on-one and Bible studies. It's a whole host of things. And even this morning, God is committed to making us more and more like Jesus by bringing us to his table that he's made. Remember that as we come to the front to receive communion this morning, if you have bags or books or anything like that, if you'll push them under the chair, put them on top of the chair so that we don't have anybody uh, who is tripping. And also remember that if you're here and you have allergies, um, we have an allergen-free bread that's up here at the front for you to partake of. Uh, But also, if you don't want to tear off of the common loaf, you're welcome to take of that as well. And we have one at... Uh, at every single uh, station. Beloved, on the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed, he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he sat down at the table to have a meal with them, and he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and remember. 
And in the same way, the Lord Jesus took the cup as he was sitting at the table. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink of it, all of you. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we come to this table, to this meal that we have not made, but that Jesus has set before us, that we are proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again and he makes all things new. Beloved, this meal is a picture of God's commitment to us. That he sent his one and only son to take on flesh and to dwell among us and to overcome the darkness of our sin with the light of his perfect life for us through his death and his resurrection. 